0: I'm Ron Stefanski, and I'm the ger- Executive Director of Partnerships and Centric Learning. And I'm here today to launch our podcast with my colleague, collaborator, and co-conspirator, Dr. Caesar Micken, formerly an executive at Detroit Public Schools. And our podcast is going to be about disrupting education. That's why it's called Disrupt Ed. We are so excited to be joined by someone I've known for the past decade, Karen norrington Reeves. Karen began her career at Northwestern. She went on to teach. She went on to then pursue a law degree. And as if she didn't have enough on her plate, most recently she adopted a second child from Haiti who is blind. So Karen has a lot on her plate and she's a real force for disruption. In the workforce world and she's been that way since she brought three county workforce agencies together to create the country's largest enterprise in workforce the chicago cook partnership welcome karen to disrupt ed hello absolutely
1: thank you for having me
0: how are you doing today
1: i'm doing great i'm doing great you just described uh, all the Herculean <laughs> things going on in my life. Right. But yeah, you know. Well, one,
2: one thing Karen Ryan forgot to say in our when we were practicing was he has this new acronym about people who get S done, who get shit done. And so the people the people who are going to be on our show are going to be people like you. You know, because we're tired of talking. We want to talk to people who are doing stuff to change our society, and it changed the plight of many of our young people. That's right. So- we, call
0: it the, we call it the GSD index. And Karen, on a scale of <laughs> 10, you've got a GSD index of about 50. Really high, really it. high. I love,
1: <laughs> I love it. I love so- it. I'm stealing that.
0: <laughs> so, what I want to do is, I want to hear some of your stories. We've been talking recently, and I was so excited uh, when we checked in with each other to find out about your recent decision to become a candidate in the first congressional district in Illinois. And I can't imagine that your long history as a nationally recognized executive and workforce isn't going to inform that candidacy. So maybe we just start there and you tell us a little bit about how you're moving uh, as you take a leave from the partnership and start approaching your candidacy for the first congressional seat in Illinois.
1: So, first of all, thank you for having me. I think there is no finer place for me to be featured than in a podcast entitled Disrupt Ed, right? Uh, And I get the play on words that we're really talking about disrupting education, uh, but you know, education is a part of workforce development and disruption is what we have to do. It's what we have to be about in order to bring about change. So I love the title and and again thank you for having me Ron and Caesar. Uh so yes in in recent months I made the decision to throw my hat in the ring as a candidate for Illinois' first congressional district uh that is the district that has been uh long led by Congressman Bobby Rush uh, a Black Panther himself like Mr. Caesar here. Yeah. <clears throat> Did you all know each other back in the day?
2: No, no. I was at U of M, you know, so.
1: So the congressman actually has endorsed me to be his successor. And I'm incredibly honored and humbled by that. Um, There's a lot of weight to that. And there's a lot of history there. And he himself is a disruptor, somebody who um, really was just down for community very, very early on. Uh, in his life and has just uh, been a a stalwart leader for for really three decades in Congress. In terms of my race and sort of frankly, Ron, what brought me to his attention uh, was the work that I've been doing for over a decade in workforce development. So not only leading the Chicago Cook Workforce Partnership, but leading with respect to community efforts, leading that public private collaboration, which is what I really think is gonna take to get us out of uh, the rut that we've gotten ourselves in in so many of our communities across the country. Um, And so the work that I've done has really helped to inform my candidacy and frankly is uh, just deeply aligned with what community needs and wants. What I hear from people day in and day out is we need jobs. And yes, we do need jobs. We also need the skills to perform the jobs that are available or that will become available. So Ron, to your point about your children working in fields that didn't exist when they began their college careers. uh, Several years ago, I did this presentation using some data points that talked about how, uh, and this was years ago, right? So it said then that 60% of eight-year-olds we're going to work in jobs that did not then exist. And so I suspect that that number has not shifted very much. When we think about cryptocurrency, we think about technological advances, we think about medical advances, just think about the response to COVID-19, uh, to this pandemic and all that we've had to do. Our young people are going to be doing jobs that simply don't exist right now. And what that means is we've got to give them the base foundation so that they are able to build new skills and build upon the the foundation that they have in order to be successful in life.
2: Hey, Hey, Karen, on that point, because I think that's very important. We saw, and you made a good point, we saw this 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. So what, at what point, do we develop? I like the partnership thing, but at what point do we engage with the public school system and, you know, some of the out-of-school systems that are going on so that we can really have make a dent in this thing?
1: Listen, the engagement has to begin early. I ha- have been on record saying, and Ron knows this as, as a core belief of mine, we spend millions and hundreds of millions of dollars within the workforce system, within the education system, to get people prepared for job opportunities and the work that we're doing in that preparation. I'm not talking about the technical skills preparation. I'm talking about the soft skills preparation. So much of that soft skills work is actually doing what we should have been doing in preschool, in kindergarten, in first grade, in second grade. And so we're spending all this money trying to play catch up um, because of things that we didn't do right as a society in the first place. So I I had this conversation years ago with an elected official and um, we were talking about high schools and career exposure and career exploration and talking about how do you address the issues of opportunity youth? And that individual, whose name I won't give now, said, oh, so junior year? And I I looked at him, I said, no, sir, sixth grade, sixth grade. That's when we need to be talking about building those skills, identifying talents, identifying aptitude, identifying interests and helping to really feed those interests so that we have confident kids. We have knowledgeable kids. And I'm sorry, not kids, but adults, confident, knowledgeable, capable prepared to go out and do whatever it is they set their mind to whatever they've identified as their gift taking those gifts and those talents and abilities and monetizing them cuz that's the other way that we beat down and decrease this racial wealth gap that exists
0: you're absolutely right Karen i think that's that's really well put i want to go back though i want to dig in for our viewers and listeners and talk about this public-private partnership a little bit, because you know a lot of people have heard that. A lot of people have, you know, have gotten the T-shirt, have gotten the CD, have listened to the tape. But you took three scandal-laden workforce agencies that weren't working well together, and you knitted them together. And so that kind of a partnership that you created to establish the country's leading, largest workforce public agency is something that I think our our viewers and listeners would love to hear about what was the key to getting that moving and 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 increasing your what we like to call GSD index and how you got how <laughs> get-
1: oh, I got ish done Um, that's right
0: that's right so
1: so two things in all fairness to your viewers if you hear any sort of uh weird noises in the background it is my dog who has decided that she needs attention right now this is the hazard of working from home this is exactly what what everybody's living with every day if it's not the kids or the spouse it is the (laughs) the pets right so um so let let me just correct one thing, because at least one of those three prior existing institutions was not scandal-laden, only two of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so it really was taking this concept of uh, removing all of those responsibilities from government entities, putting them into a nonprofit in order to increase nimbleness. It was about being able to have a more flexible uh, procurement process, a more responsive workforce development system, and, and in that sense, I mean responsive to business need, so the ability to stand up programs and to create initiatives that would immediately address a shortage that employers encountered. And you know, there were just so many layers of bureaucracy within city and county government that that nimbleness did not exist um in addition to that so there were the three workforce development organizations for um s- uh, south south and west suburban cook county northern cook county had its own and then the city of chicago had its own so if you lived in uh, a community called austin in the city of chicago which is right at the border of the the uh, suburban areas if you lived in the in the city and the austin community the closest workforce center to you was actually in Maywood, which was in Cook County, but outside of the city's purview. And so you could not easily go to Maywood and receive services or find out about job opportunities that the Maywood uh, Center had. And so we eliminated those boundaries by bringing the three entities together together. There was a fourth entity that we also joined in, which was the Chicago Workforce Investment Council. It was a small nonprofit that was responsible for serving as staff to the Chicago Workforce Board. So we brought all four of those organizations together. Uh, Everybody, you know, the, the, the four prior existing organizations were dissolved. Everyone had the opportunity to interview with the partnership. I had set up an entirely new structure for the for the new entity. The partnership didn't even have a name yet. And we interviewed those staff and brought on board those folks that we thought were going to be able to make the pivot in terms of uh, understanding the vision, that this was not going to be business as usual, not going to do what, what had been done before in terms of the practice of Workforce development and the administration of federally funded workforce programs. We came in with an understanding that we were standing up this business relations and economic development team that was going to be responsible for discerning employer needs, crafting solutions to those employer needs, and really promoting the resources that were available through the federal programs. In addition to that, we provided. Um, sort of a, a central space for policy creation, for creating materials, marketing materials, um, analyzing labor market information so that job seekers who came to us could make informed decisions about the industry sectors they wanted to pursue.
2: Let me ask you a quick question before you go on. So does that entity, do you have some data like on the success of that entity? You know, Oh, yeah. Oh, there oh, yeah.
1: you go. See that? We've, we've helped to place more than 100,000 people in employment since our inception, um, worked with more than right. 2,000 employers. Wow. Uh, we worked with 1,100 employers just last year alone. That is uh, crazy. We've, we've, we've done some amazing national initiatives. Uh, we did the 100,000 Opportunities Initiatives that was launched with us with Starbucks Corporation and you know, 30 of their closest partners, um, 27 or 26 of which we had already had relationships with by the time 100,000 opportunities came about. We launched an initiative called Hospitality Hires Chicago, which brings together the hospitality, retail, and tourism sectors. And so we got people hired in those fields. Uh, but more than that, it's not just getting people hired, it's getting them connected to career pathway opportunities that lead to economic self-sufficiency, the ability to support oneself and one's family, and the ability to advance within those careers, not to just get a job, any job, but to really think about what am I good at? What do I wanna do with my my life? How do I wanna leverage the skills and talents that I have? And what skills and talents do I wanna acquire?
2: You know what most people don't understand about the significance of that? not only are you helping the family and developing some generational wealth, but the community as well. You yes. know, so you, you put that money back into the community. A lot of studies have been done related to that, that now they're buying houses, cars, yes. paying taxes, yes. you know, all these things. And that's the significance, I think, of the, like you said earlier, you're lur- lurking in, you know, Hercules, whatever it is. <laughs> but it was, I mean, I think that is really crucial.
1: Yeah, no, Susan, you're
0: so, so right. Yeah, and I think, Karen, I think the other thing uh, that you've learned to do, not only in bringing these workforce entities together and these thousands of employers, but you work a lot with uh, educational agencies and institutions. And I want to pivot to that for a second because, you know, agility is the answer to disruption, Moving quickly, moving deftly through the Being nimble, like you said, Karen. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> no one that I know would describe higher education as nimble and agile, and yet you've had real success. And so, I want to hear a little bit more about that, and in particular, how you see upskilling the workforce as more than just a community college, or more than just a university, or more than just a tech college. Now that um, your workforce within workforce has become uh, really understood about technology and e-learning, how does that play a role in the work of of the workforce partnership?
1: So I would say one of the the things, uh, I love your point that disruption is really, uh, it's rooted in nimbleness. It's rooted in agility and adaptability understanding that you have to pivot, right? So we heard that word a lot during the course of the pandemic, this pivot, this notion of pivot. Um, And it's really about being adaptive to whatever changes are coming your way, right? The only, I I used to tell my team all the time, the only constant is change. Things will always be evolving. And so our ability to meet that moment, whatever that moment might be, whether it's a personal or professional one, um, really helps to dictate our success is the, is the bottom line. With respect to education, as you were talking, Ron, and sort of setting up that question, it made me think about the fact that what you described was a bureaucracy. So it's another uh, arm of government and there are layers and there's a, uh, there's a certain rigidity, right? Because there's compliance and there's all of this rule following and that requires a certain level of rigidity and so um what we found is that we bring people in as partners and you create you co-create and that's where you get that nimbleness um that's where you get people to be innovative and think outside the box and then you go back and check and say hey can we can we get this done and here's here's the imperative of doing this right here's the economic imperative for the employer here's the economic imperative for the job seekers and this is how it supports the institution's bottom line and portfolio of investments within community so that's always been the approach is really to come to people come to people from a space of co-creation because then you've got shared ownership you've got shared ownership in the outcomes and you also have shared ownership in the positive that, that flows from that. So I'll give you one great example of our ability to leverage that. Um, at the beginning of the pandemic, as you all know, nationally, there was a dearth of contact tracers. And so um, we have been in discussions with the city and the county around how do we you know, create a response here? And so the city issued a, a, an RFP for the creation of a contact tracing core that would be community-based, focusing on 30 um, high needs communities, predominantly black and brown communities in the city's south and west sides, and some on the north side. And the partnership bid on that contract and we won it. But we turned it into something more than anyone ever imagined. We brought in our educational partners through Malcolm X College, which is one of the community colleges one of the city colleges of Chicago. We brought in Sinai Urban Health Institute, which is connected to Mount Sinai Hospital. We brought in NORC at University of Chicago, which is a a phenomenal nationally known research uh, body. And we brought in uh, University of Illinois at Chicago. And so we had these educational partners who worked with us, designed the training program. We put Our contact tracers through seven different modules of training. So they got their contact tracing certification. They got certification later on as vaccine ambassadors. So they were able to be conversant in the language of epidemiology and to help people understand the need for getting inoculated against the virus. Um, They got trained in all these different modules and they got certificates and credentials. They also had to go through um, uh, customer service training as well. And so at its height, we had about 750 people hired on from community to do this work. They wound up giving us a second year on the contract and now they've extended it. We got a third year for uh it's focusing on Latinx community. So we got promotoras that evolved from that. But it was that collaboration with our education partners, their ability to turn on the dime to create those initiatives, those certifications. And what we've done with it Uh, We'll see the fruits of our labor in April because we didn't want this to just be short-term employment for this. Right,
2: which is what I was getting ready to ask, too. No, so we
1: didn't want it to be (laughs) short-term employment. We already had relationships in the healthcare sector. And so we created a menu of training options for folks to go into the healthcare sector for permanent employment. So we're doing a hiring event in April for that.
2: Hey, Karen, so one up. I know we have to wrap this segment up. But one of the things we would like to talk to you about on the next segment is this whole concept around opportunity youth. I just sent Ryan an article this morning concerning Philadelphia and hundreds of thousands of our young people out of school, out of work. You know, what do we do about it? And I know workforce development is a great space for that. So if we could just save some time for that one. And
0: Ryan, I don't know you want to. Yes, I'd like to invite you back, Karen. We'd love to have you back to talk more about Opportunity Youth and also more about uh, what you're doing uh, to move the needle in terms of bringing people the skills and education they need to be successful. Uh, In closing, I want you to tell us one last thing you'd like our audience to know about what you think will make you successful in one of the least collaborative bodies we have. <laughs> and, that's the, is, and that is the U.S. House of Representatives. And so maybe you can close us out on that note.
1: You know, I think the thing that will make me successful there is my ability to be agile, as you were just describing. And most importantly, to build relationships. All of the work that I've been able to be successful in has really required connectivity, connection to to other people. It is really about collaboration and finding points of commonality, even in spaces where we may disagree. I have been in, you know, at the the seat of politics in the city of Chicago uh, between the mayor's office and the Cook County Board president's office. And you know, I've learned how to navigate those different personalities. I've learned how to navigate the politics. And for me, it's been a great proving ground. And I believe that it is certainly the uh, preparation that I need in order to come into Congress and be successful with building those bridges, finding those points of commonality so that we can get-ish done. That's right.
2: That's <laughs> That was a great summary because I was going to insert that uh, Ron's GSD in there. So you did it perfectly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: So thank you folks for joining us on Disrupt Dad. This is Ron Stefanski joined by Doctor Caesar Mickens. And we look forward to and Reeves to having you back again on our show. Thanks, Thanks everyone so much.